0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, well, let's let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter number 19. And when you find that, I'd ask that you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. I was going to try to get out of and go somewhere else beside Numbers, but uh, then when I was studying previously that I came across this uh, chapter uh, in the Bible, and then uh, after we get done reading it, you maybe say, well, why would we look at this portion of Scripture tonight? And hopefully by God's grace we will, we will understand what God's saying here tonight. I want you to notice in verse number 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses and, un, and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came uh, came a yoke. All right. And so every time I think about heifer, it's usually not this portion of Scripture. If you if you know anything about Samson, he, he called his woman. Uh, a heifer. So, uh, uh, thankfully, God has has this this year for us, which is much better than what Samson did uh, later on. All right. And uh, verse number three, and he and ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face, and Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger. And sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, and her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood, and hyssop, and scarlet, and cast it in the midst of the burning of the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until the even. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for for the congregation of the children of Israel, for water of separation, and it is a purification of sin." And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statue forever. He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. So we're now we're getting the reason why they would need this water of purification that is talking, talking about here in, in, uh, starting in verse 11 says, And he shall purify himself with it on the third day, and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be, not be clean. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because of the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. This is the law. When a man dieth in a tent, all that come into the tent and all that is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it is unclean. And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person they shall, not, they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin. And running water shall be put therein too in a vessel. And if a clean person shall take a uh, hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent. And upon all the vessels and upon the persons that were there. And upon them that toucheth the bone or one slain or one dead or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself and wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at even. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself. Notice this, God's not making you do this. You can choose to, you don't have to, but here's the result of not doing it. He said, and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation. Because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord, the water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him, he is unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statue unto them, that he that sprinkleth the water of separation shall wash his clothes, and he that toucheth the water of separation shall be unclean until even... And whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean, and the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until even. Well, may God bless in the reading of his word, and you can go ahead and be seated. Maybe after you read a chapter like that in the Bible, you say, well, God's really going to need to bless his word if we're going to get something out of that. But I want you to listen. I found this quote by a preacher that's gone to be with the Lord a long time ago. His name was W.A. Criswell. And W.A. Criswell said these words about this chapter. He said, why we read these things, pass over them, and don't pay any attention to them. There is in it that old book of Leviticus and in that book of Numbers, and nobody pays any attention, nobody reads. But the Holy Spirit said all of it was the inspired word of God, every syllable of it. And it has a deep and profound meaning. It's just we don't have anybody to teach us. We don't have anybody to show us. Consequently, the Bible for almost all of God's people remains a sealed and closed book. Oh, that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and give us minds that we can see and understand and hearts that are open to the truth. This is one of the most marvelous rituals I ever thought or discovered or ever dreamed in my life. What a remarkable statement by W. A. Criswell. If you know anything about him, here's a man that uh, had a very, uh, uh, very flourishing ministry. If you want to put it that way, a very well-known preacher, and he's saying, "I've discovered some great things in this in this chapter, and wish that somebody would have shown that to me a long time ago." And maybe you've read through. I just talked to uh, Eric tonight. He said he read through Numbers, and I wonder how many times we've read through Numbers. And really never sought to understand what God's talking about here in numbers chapter number 19 and hopefully by God's grace and his enabling tonight that is that he will reveal what is uh, what is for us in this chapter so we're going to by God's grace hopefully understand this tonight you know I've come to realize this and probably all of us have the unfortunate reality of, of this truth and This truth, it might blow your mind, but those things which are clean don't stay clean. You get that? Those things which are clean don't stay clean. Now, I've uh, unfortunately, and the Lord's been helping me in my own life to have this kind of patience, but when you have 12 children, it seems like this. We can get the whole house cleaned, and by the time we say we're finished, we can turn around behind us and we're, it's, we're in this perpetual cycle because somebody just destroyed something behind us. And what has been clean does not stay. It does not stay clean. Not even if we get an hour out of it, we just got to praise the Lord and walk away from it and call it a victory. But if, you understand what I'm saying? Things that are clean don't stay clean. I have to clean all the time, being in a in a kitchen and doing food service all the time, and I'm imagining people probably would want me. Brother Chad uh, understands about needing to keep your kitchen clean and those type of things, but i, I tell you this. There's been times I jokingly say, you know what, we're just going to dirty this anyways. Let's just go ahead and let's just leave this thing and we'll just clean it once a week at the end. And you say, well, that's probably not the best idea for a kitchen if you're serving food to other, other people. You probably wouldn't want to show up there. But the reality is, is, we know that truth, that um, things that are clean don't stay, stay clean, and man, I sure wish that, that that would be the case. And when we think about that, and the need then for keeping things clean, we have a re- there's a need then for us to keep things clean, because they don't stay that way, and we have to deal with, we have to deal with dirt then, Right? Because if we don't deal with dirt, then the effects of dirt, I mean, it, it, it can be uh, devastating. It can, be, it can break things down. It can be very, very bad for, for your health. And so we understand that um, we have to deal with dirt and, it, and its effects, and, and it's all around us. It's a contaminating influence. You're not going to be able to avoid it, uh, no matter how much you try to do it. And when I think about that fact, that how dirt is and how it contaminates everything, and really it offers us a, a great picture and illustration because there is a bigger contaminant that we must deal with than just the dirt that's around us. And I'm not talking about physical dirt. I'm talking about spiritual dirt. There is a contaminant that you and I, all of us deal with, and you've all dealt with it even today, and the contaminant is is sin. It is a contaminant that the reality is. I would like to say that we could once clean, we could always be clean, but the reality is we still get dirty, do we not? We can have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which many of us in this room are. We know Christ is our Savior, but the reality is we may uh, positionally be saved in a relationship with Christ and our relationship with God, but we still get dirty, do we not? Do we still not spiritually in our lives have to deal with the constant uh, effects of of sin around us? And and so because of that, there is a need to be purified. There is a need to be clean. There is a need in our walk and relationship with Christ to deal with the contaminating effects of sin in in our lives. And when you come to Numbers chapter number uh, 19... We are dealing then with an illustration and a lesson that God has given to us, dealing then with the subject matter of sin in our lives and dealing with its contaminating effects effects, uh, in our lives. As long as you're drawing a breath of air, you're going to need Numbers chapter number 19. And you say, well, you're setting a very high standard for this chapter to get that much out of it. I think by the time we're done, you're going to be like, I think we could have probably gone a little bit further, but for sake of time, we will, we will give what we can tonight and let God apply it to your hearts. Now, what we see in this, and when we look in the book of Numbers, truly Israel uh, Israel was going to need a good cleaning. They were going to need a good cleaning. This chapter deals with the subject matter of things that are clean or unclean, and most specifically dealing with people that are clean and unclean. And when we must understand when we we deal with the terminology of clean and unclean in the the Bible, we know from what I've just said and what we've just read here tonight, that being clean and unclean is not just a matter of, of, of physical property. That was something that they were going to have to deal with. We even see that in here. There was going to be a washing of their bodies and taking care of those things. Rightfully so. But when we deal with clean and unclean, we are dealing then with things that are spiritual uh, in nature. You see, in verse number 9, it says, "...a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer... "...and lay them up without the camp in a clean place... "...and it shall be kept for a congregation of the children of Israel... For the water of separation, it is a purification for sin. So you really get an idea right there what God is talking about when we're dealing with things that are unclean. In a relationship to God, it is that which separates us from God. Because it's calling a water of separation. In other words, these waters are supposed to help someone that's unclean. And so put it together, you're talking about sin then is that which causes a separation uh, before us, before God. And uh, and so we we see this throughout the the numbers. We see it throughout the book of Leviticus over and over again about things that will render one unclean or separate before the before God. And so clean and unclean then ultimately deals with one's relationship before God. And uh, this was obviously a major deal for them because God was the one that had redeemed the nation of Israel. It was God who wanted to dwell in the midst of them, that God that wanted to be with them. And God said... Now, if we're going to walk in tandem, if we're going to walk in relationship here, if we are going to be one in all of this, then we are going to have to deal with these things. And that when you're unclean, it breaks that unity that I want to have with you. It breaks that relationship that I have with you. And that's what we have here. The Bible uses such words as when they were unclean, and if they would remain unclean, God said that they would cut them off. That could either mean that they would leave you out, or you would have the death penalty. He said, "Well, that sounds pretty severe. Well, that's how God's view of unclean is. It would cut you off of the relationship that you had with God. You couldn't go up to the tabernacle. You couldn't. You couldn't have that close relationship with God. You see that how you were separated even from the congregation of Israel itself. It broke that fellowship and relationship, and if uh, and it would even affect your service for God." So we have this idea about being, uh, about being clean in one's relationship with God. One title for a sermon that I saw said, cleanliness is not next to godliness, but cleanliness is next to holiness. Now that's a good, that's a good line. Cleanliness is next to holiness. Because how else can you approach a holy God unless you're in a holy state? because God cannot allow something unclean in his presence. And so the matter of cleanness was something that God had already been dealing with the nation of Israel uh, previously. See, earlier in Numbers, God was getting the camp ready uh, they had been at Mount Sinai. They had received the law. They had received the plans for the tabernacle. They had built it. And God said, All right, we're going to lay some ground rules before we go on a road trip here. And uh, this is how we are going to perform and we're going to function. And one of the things that He mentioned to them in Numbers chapter number five is. He was dealing with specific things in the camp. He was saying before we can move forward, there are matters that will render us unclean and that we need to deal with these very things. And in that, he was talking about if there's a leper in there, you have to deal with leprosy. And I, from what I read in the Bible, you probably don't want to have lepers hanging out in the camp. <laughs> probably want to take care of that. He's talking about if people have different issues of, of, of blood and different issues of the body, I'm thinking that's probably good after seeing my kids with stomach viruses and things like that. Let's take care of some of those things. But he said this also, that they had to deal with the subject matter of touching touching a dead body. Now you may say to yourself, well that's not a big deal because I don't know about you. I've touched some dead animals in my life, but I have never, ever, ever touched animals. dead body I've never touched a dead body I've been to some funerals where people laid over loved ones and touched them and maybe I'll maybe that'll happen for me but there's just something about it that I've never touched a dead body and I'm just like I don't know there's just something about that whole thing I'm like I'm fine I, I believe the Bible I believe all that I don't need to touch a dead body all right never would make a good mortician for sure all right but most of us probably never have ever touched a dead body, and you're like, you read something like that, and we, we put it in our context of our own mind. Like, well, big deal, don't touch a dead body. But put it in their context. Put it where they're at. Do you understand that before this, they had a little problem with God? Okay, maybe it was a really big problem with God. That's why we have this book of Numbers here talking about their whole wondering the reason why that they were going to wonder for 40 years in the wilderness is this. is There's a story about these 12 spies who went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. And uh, the ten that were bad, they gave an evil report. They're like, man, this place is awesome. I mean, there's these grapes. I mean, you're not going to believe it. These are the best. I mean... I mean, you could get those at Walmart or anywhere else. I mean, there's all these great things that are there. But he said, but there's one problem. The people that own them, they don't really want to give them up. <laughs> They're really big, and we're really small. And I don't know about you. I, all I've done is raise sheep my whole life. And I don't, what's a shepherd boy going to do against somebody that's a trained warrior with a sword and, and all of that? And, uh, but there's two guys that said... I don't care what we have. We'll whoop the fire out of them. We'll take every single inch of their land. We'll take their crops. We'll take their cattle. We'll take their city. God's for us. We're going to do this and just watch what we're going to do. Well, you know the problem is, is the minority didn't get listened to at all. The majority had a louder voice and, they, and the nation of Israel went ahead and uh, they complained against God. They went so far as to say, we're not going up there, God and sheer rebellion against God, and they appointed, the Bible says they appointed themselves a new, new leader to replace Moses. They were ready to go back into Egypt. Believe it or not, God wasn't very happy with all of that. And God said, all right, this is what's going to happen, that you are going to now wander in this wilderness for 40 years, and everyone 20 years and older is going to die. You're going to die over this period of time. And so you know what they were going to have to deal with? Lots and lots and lots of dead people. You know, we might go, we might go to a funeral here and there and maybe we have, have a single death that we deal with. Many times we don't have to deal with multiple deaths. But there's going to be times that they're going to deal with hundreds of deaths thousands of deaths later on they're going to deal with the they're going to get the complaining with God and all these poisonous snakes are going to come up they're going to go in their tent they're going to bite people and they're going to die because you imagine waking up and your spouse is right next to you dead and you can see two fang marks in in their neck I'm just I'm just what I think anyways and I'm just like I'm just like man I'm you wake up next to a dead body it was altogether possible because it well all I know is it was really bad we look, at the, we look at the gainsaying of Korah. Look at how many people died when Korah, Korah was swallowed up. And then right the, right the following day, the people got to complaining against God, and God sent a plague through there. Aaron would have died if it wasn't for Aaron running in the middle of the camp. I'm just letting you know they were going to deal with dead people all the time. Either they were going to personally deal with it in their tent, either they were going to have to bury a family member. The Bible, when you look at this chapter, they have to wor- wor- uh, worry about walking over a dead body, if it was a tent or an open vessel, all of these things they were going to have to contend with. And you're, you might be saying, they're, they're going to be in tough shape. I mean, you're dealing, you're dealing with millions of people that are going to be dying. And they're going to be dealing with this every single day. And man, I, how in the world can God expect them to remain clean in that kind of situation? How, how is that possible? Because is God do asking them to do the impossible. I'm going to kill all of you, all uh, over 20. And then if you touch a dead body, you'll be cut off, and you won't be able to come, be, come before me. Like, wow, this, this trip's not going very well. We won't need a wonder for 40 years, because we won't make it 40 days at this rate. If we're all going to be cut off. But I want to tell you this, but God in his great and rich mercy. You see... They deserve none of this. They deserve none of what God was going to do for them in this chapter. They deserve none of it. God could have just wiped them all out, but God knew in all of this, and He showed great mercy to them. You see, God gave them, uh, God gave to them in, in this story a unique method for dealing with this matter of uncleanness and being purified before Him. You see, Israel is given to uh, here, and what we read here, is this, um, this sacrifice of a red heifer. Now, when I talk about the sacrifice of the red heifer, you almost have to disengage your mind from what you know about sacrifices out of the book of Leviticus, because this is, this is nothing like what you read in the book of Leviticus. Do you know how many times red heifer is mentioned in the book of Leviticus? Oh, it's not mentioned. I'm sorry, it's not there at all. Do you know it's only found in this portion of Scripture? The red heifer is mentioned here, and you notice that this one is totally different than any other sacrifice. Because every other sacrifice, the priest itself would kill the animal. The person would also would relate themselves. Their sins would be transferred to this animal. It's not here. That's not how it's done here. This animal is not even sacrificed on the brazen altar in the tabernacle. They take it and they take it outside of the camp and they go ahead and sacrifice it. There's no other animal. There's no other sacrifice that's done in this this way. And specifically, it's not dealing with a specific sin of an individual. Because that's normally what it is. You go ahead and read through the book of Leviticus, the burnt offerings and all of this. You just got to stay with me. Get through this groundwork here. That all of this here, uh, all that was dealing with specific sins that would take place here. But not this one. This one is totally unique and totally uh, uh, different. And we see in this one, it is so different that even the person who is killing the animal, the person who is helping out with the animal, the person who gathers the ashes, all of them become unclean for a period of time. I, what I'm trying to get to you to understand is, is this is this is something that God is is totally different than anything else that God has done and that He's obviously is highly significant in this process of purifying themselves from the contaminants of death that would render them unclean and would hinder them from moving forward in their walk and relationship with God. You see, this is something that God dedicates a whole chapter in the Bible to this red, red, red heifer thing. And, but it's clearly something that, uh, that God had very good reason for. Because, as it says at the end of verse 9, it is a purification for sin. Anyway, so, well, I just thought you said that it wasn't for any specific sin. Well, there is not a specific sin, but sin is definitely a major part of this chapter. Because I'm going to tell you the only reason why you have any dead things ever in this world is because of sin. You see, so every single thing, and you could even say, well, directly it correlates back to the rebellion against God earlier about going in the land of Canaan, that was their sin. Yes, but we ultimately know that there is no, there is no death unless there's, unless there's sin in, in, in the picture. And so God is clearly dealing with that. And so the production and use of this water was meant to cleanse the unclean And it is also to show how grave an issue this is to God, and that the people were going to need a remedy to overcome this. That they were going, that God said, You're not going to be able to go anywhere unless you have my help. There's nothing you can do about it. Unless I provide you a means to purify yourself so you can walk in relationship with me. See, I think you can probably already see the dots that I'm starting to lay down that you can connect and what God is. What God is trying to say here is that clearly there was a need for them to be clean and purified and on their own that was something that they could not deal with on their own and it was something that they could not ignore. God says, you don't have to purify yourself. You don't have to take the ashes of the red heifer and, and all of that and mix it with water. You don't have to do all that. You can just go ahead and do that very thing. Matter of fact, you can go ahead and touch a dead body and act... And you, how many people have some kind of scanner that will let you know whether you w- touch a dead body or touch a tent of a dead body or whether you touch an open vessel of a dead body or whether you walk over a grave? There was no way for you to know on a personal level. But God knew. And God's saying, You have a choice. I'm not going to make you purify yourself, but I'm going to sure make you wish you did. Because if you don't, I'm going to cut you off you won't have to wonder for 40 years because you won't have to wonder what I'm going to do to you because he would destroy them in the process. Now, what we have taught for us from the Bible clearly is the need of cleansing for the nation of Israel is an illustration of the greater cleansing that each and every one of us needs. You see, the instructions point to the cleansing that we need in our own lives because we need purification from sin. We need purification from sin. And I, the prophet Isaiah said, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But the Bible says we are already condemned to be unclean. We're, we're not progressing, we're not getting better. I, I, we may have more technology, but we are just as unclean uh, as we've always been. You see, because the fact of the matter is, we we just even had a funeral here recently. Every funeral we have here is is visible, visible proof positive that sin isn't in the world. Someone may well, well, I don't know if there's evil in the world. Well, every time somebody dies, there's proof positive that God said, I'm going to give you a visible example. What I told you back in the Garden of Eden, that the day you eat thereof is the day you break my commandments, is the day you die, and every single funeral is a verification and proof positive that what God's saying is true, that sin is entered into the world. And we know Romans five twelve says, wherefore is by one man entered in the world and death by sin, and so... Death has passed upon all men for that all of sin. I, I know my kids take some of my traits, you know, that from their father, help me with that. But, but we also take the trait from our, our first man, Adam, our first father. We all, we all die. And the fact of the matter is, left in our own sinful state, we will never be able to have that relationship with God. We will be be cut off. Everyone has a need to be made clean because we are eternally separated from God. But yet, the defiling results of sin are not just something that we experience before salvation, but it is something that we even deal with after salvation. Jesus gave the greatest illustration of that ever right before he was crucified. Because he sat down with his disciples and he did the function of a, of a servant and he began to wash the feet of all of his disciples. And Peter, thankfully, in his, in his boisterous manner that he is, that God used him to give us a great truth. Because Peter's like, Uh-uh, Lord, you don't wash my feet. You're, the, you're number one and I'm way down here somewhere. You should never be washing my, my feet. And the Lord said, no 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 you you have to understand what's going on here peter that i it must needs that i clean you and he's just like well then if you're going to wash my feet then wash my whole body and i could about imagine the lord's like now calm down peter we got to slow down slow the roll here we got to understand something here real quick you're already clean peter but one part of you is not clean and it's his feet that the lord was washing what, what was he saying The feet is what you come in contact with this world all around you all the the time. If you're a normal human being and, and are able to walk, you're going to be coming in contact with this world around you with the feet. And what the Lord was talking about is this is the defilement that comes through our daily walk each and every day. The, the fact of the matter is, you look at this, this, this chapter, it really illustrates it well. I mean, they could come across dead things all over the place. In the tent, in a vessel, on a grave, walk over a body. I mean, it could walk over a grave, an unmarked grave, and you could be unclean. And the fact of the matter is that you and I must deal with then this defilement of sin, which is all around us, that it's in our daily life, each and every day. There's no way that we can escape it. Paul tells us a whole chapter in Romans chapter number seven. He said, You know, it's bad enough that we have to deal with all the sin that's outward. But I have to deal with the man that's inward. And I constantly find a war taking place. I want to do good, but the good I would do, that I do not do. But that which I wouldn't do and I shouldn't do, that's what I find myself doing. And I find within myself a war taking place in my members. That's what he's talking about there. A real genuine struggle. I'm really thankful that Paul wrote that because what he's trying to illustrate to us is this. In my daily walk, I have a struggle with sin and I think if we are honest with ourselves and if you're true to yourself tonight you have not mastered sin completely and the fact of the matter is is you have that same struggle going on in your own chest and if you're saying tonight I've got it whipped I'm going to tell you that's the deceitfulness of sin and you're in a worse spot than you realize. You see, we have to deal with the defilement of sin that's around us and in us all all the time. You can't turn the TV on and see something that would not entice you to have a wrong thought, a wrong idea, a wrong motive. Here's something another co-worker says that, that maybe you know you shouldn't laugh at, but you find yourself laughing at. You see other lifestyles that are glorified and sometimes it's easy to say, man, I wish I could do what they did. You see, we deal with death all around us. And by that, I mean the contaminating effects of sin all around us. We, we We cannot avoid this. You can try to live yourself in a monastery like some people try to do, but you know what? Sin follows you to the monastery. You can lock yourself in a room, but as long as you're in the room, you're in trouble. Because we have to deal with the defiling effects of sin in our lives. You know what I'm thankful, though, when I read this chapter, and this is the part that I really like to get to, is when I look at this, God in his great mercy, he just doesn't say, too bad, guys. You have to live with this fallen nature. You have to deal with sin. And even if you get saved and you're right with God, you're still going to have to deal with sin. Have fun at it. But you know what? That's not what God's doing. See, in this, what God is trying to show to us is is this. It is the remedy and the means for us living a pure and holy life before him and dealing with sin. You see, when we read this chapter, what's so good about it is this. This is 100% guaranteed an illustration of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee it 100%. Because sometimes the Bible is its own great commentary. And the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews. Neither by the blood of of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For at the blood of bulls and of goats, and maybe you're familiar with this, but here's what the next phrase says. And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying the flesh How much more shall the blood of Christ? See, the Bible gives its own interpretation. Well, I I never saw that in Numbers 19. Well, that's what it's talking about. God, through the Holy Spirit, says, look at Numbers 19. It is talking about the purifying power of Christ in our lives to deal with the contaminant of sin that we have to deal with, whether it's on a permanent, eternal basis or whether it's in our daily lives. This whole chapter deals with the work of Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to go into all the typology, but I'll just give you a couple examples of, of that that is supposed to deal in there. Do you ever notice that the sacrifice again wasn't at the tabernacle? It was without the camp? And the Bible says that Jesus was sacrificed outside the city, that he wasn't sacrificed in the camp. You ever notice that it was, they took a heifer that had never been broken, in other words had to be completely yielded to those that were taking it to there? That Christ was completely yielded? And I find this interesting. See, when they burned the heifer, you notice that they didn't just throw the, the cow in there and burn it up, but they threw some other things in there. Threw cedar in it. You know what that is? That's wood. You know what the cross was made out of? Wood. There's hyssop. You know our hyssop's first mentioned at in the Bible? It's this thing called the Passover, when they spread blood on the door, and Jesus said he was the greater Passover. And I don't think it takes much for us to figure out what scarlet is. If you don't know what color of scarlet it is, it is red. So you're dealing with, now listen, you're dealing with clearly the cross and sacrifice of Christ, Then all those ashes are put in water. You know what water is meant to do here? Clean you. Do we not sing, uh, have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Have you, have you experienced this cleansing power? The cleansing wave, that's a, I was hoping we were going to sing that song tonight, the cleansing wave, that's an awesome hymn. But that's what we're dealing with this. This is a picture then of Jesus Christ then and of, it, of his work. Time won't let us go into all these things, but I would, I would implore you to study out these pictures because Christ didn't just all of a sudden show up in the New Testament. He was all the way in Genesis, and he goes all the way through. If you allow God to speak to you, you'll see it. That's right, amen. And so when we look at this, we find then where our help then is dealing with this uh dealing with sin and dealing with purifying ourselves before god because when you look at this if we are going to be made uh be pure and to walk in purity and to deal with sin in our lives, when we look at this chapter we should want to live a life of purity because the finished work of christ should motivate us to do such that what Christ has done for us should make us want to say, I do not want this, this lifestyle. As much as the world allures, as much as our flesh pulls at us, we should say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is, this is, look what the sacrifice that he made for me. And, and so I can be clean, that I can have fellowship with God, that I can be used by God. I, will, I do not want to do this because what Christ has done for me motivating sacrifice. I was thankful that earlier uh, I had Brother Juan came over and he put in an electrical panel at my house and it was good to finally really just talk to him. I'm not talking about just talking about how the weather is. I mean, I'm glad you... It's fun to talk about those kind of things, but it, spiritual things, th- those are fun. I like that. And uh, he was sharing his testimony with me and I was just like, we could have almost swapped lives to a degree we were in prison at the same time and probably almost crossed paths when we were there because we were there at the same time. It was pretty amazing. But the reality is is I know from talking to him and uh, what God has saved him from, the cross has become a motivating factor in his life to want to live a life differently than he did before he got saved. If he did, That's the only reason why he's here. I know the pull of the lifestyle that he was in. And he needed a greater power than the pull of the lifestyle that he, was, that he was in, and he found it. And it's his motivation now. You say, well, I don't have a testimony like that. Well, I just think even, I know Brother Hardy. I know his dad. I know his grandpa. I, I, I know that he got to grow up in a Christian home. But you know what? That should be even more motivation because you have no idea what Brother Juan went through. You have no idea what I went through. You have no idea what other people have been saved a long time. That should be motivation that the cross of Christ has saved you from that. You've never experienced that before in your life. And you say, why would I want to give in in to sin? Why would I want to yield myself to that? Because of what Christ has done. See, it's not just people that have been saved from a wicked lifestyle, but it's those that have been never experienced it at all should be motivated. I wish to God I would have had a testimony like Brother Hardy's, but I don't have that. But I do have the cross of Jesus Christ, and I can look and see that he would sacrifice himself for somebody like me who mocked and made fun of him, and yet he would yet be merciful to me to save me. That's motivation enough for me to want to sit there and go, you know what, the finished work of Christ, that's my motivation because you may be fatigued tonight saying, man, it's why do I why should I keep fighting? I keep resisting sin and it gets just a pull in my life and it just seems like all I'm doing is battling all the time. But I'm going to tell you this, what Christ said done for you should be the motivation for you to get up and to fight every single day. Because he died so that we would yield our members as servants as righteousness, not to yield our members as servants of unrighteousness, is what Roman tells us. The the cross of Christ is not meant to be some historical thing. It's not meant to be, well, you're preaching about the cross again. We've heard about it a million times. Yes, and you need to hear about it one more million times because it's just that motivating it should be to your life. If the cross has lost its motivation in your life, then you need to come before an altar and ask God to help you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and ask God to give you a full glimpse of his face tonight and say, God, I need to see you in a way I've never seen you before. Because I'm going to tell you this, when Christ becomes more real in your life, when he becomes closer to you, when you're more motivated for you, I'm going to tell you this, sin loses its power quickly because Christ conquered it. But you know what? I know I need to be motivated. <laughs> and we all know we need to be motivated. But the fact of the matter is we, we still mess up, don't we? I mean, we... I mean, I have good intentions. Oh, I do. I don't think I've ever really just got up in the morning and said, "You know what, God, I'm going to do this today," and just, just outright just defy God's word. You know, I, I, normally that's not a normal day for me. I hope that's not a normal day for you. If that is a normal day for you, I'm just going to tell you this: you may want to examine your relationship with Christ, because no child of God should want to wake up every day and say, "That's what I'm going to do today." But you know what I do? I do those things which I shouldn't do, and I know it. But the fact of the matter is when I look at this, this portion of Scripture tells us this, that not only should we be motivated, but it helps us to have the maintenance that we need in our lives also. You see, I was telling Pastor Jet, this is what's amazing about this. Do you know this is the only sacrifice that is accomplished in the past but it has its effects reaching forward it's the only it's the only sacrifice in the whole bible you you have a burnt sacrifice boom it's done it's over with day of atonement you you kill the goat boom i mean you're killing sheep boom it's just done for that day you kill the heifer they collect the ashes some guys holding on the ashes some guys got the water And every time you need some some water and ashes, there's somebody around to give you some water and ashes. Because the accomplished deed in the past has present effects in the future, too. You know, that illustrates the work which Christ has done on the cross. It is a finished work, but it's not finished. Isn't that awesome? It's finished, when he said, it is finished, I have accomplished, I have paid the debt that Christ, or paid the debt for sin, I have satisfied a holy and righteous God, it is finished. But also at the same time, it's not finished. Because there's a big word in this, in this chapter, I'm not going to look at it right now, it's the word perpetual. This is a perpetual statue. You say, well I don't know big words like that. Okay, that means it just go, keeps going. It just doesn't stop. That's what perpetual means. And it's that this keeps going each and every day of our lives. And what God is trying to say to us, and I believe what God is trying to show to us, is getting to the practice of daily confession in our lives. To deal with sin in our lives. Man, I think a lot of of people say, well, I I read my Bible daily, and I pray daily. But if you're not confessing, I'm really wondering... If you're really praying. Because I'm imagining confession is something that should be a normal part of your life each and every day. Didn't the Lord, when they asked the Lord, he said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? We love how you pray. The Lord said, I'll give you an example. All right? It's not the Lord's prayer, but I'll give you an example. And in that, he said, and he said, forgive our debts. Before dealing with forgiveness with other people, he's saying, You deal with your own. Well, this person needs to get right. Well, they may need to get right, but you may need to to get right. You know, I have no problem, and we should be praying for the needs of other people, and like, oh, so-and-so is sick, and we pray that God would heal and raise them up. Praise God we should do that. Old Joe, he needs a job? Praise God we should do that. But if you're not praying about your sin in your life and dealing, dealing with it, you know what the Bible says? That your iniquities cut you off from God. That God's saying, uh, yeah that's good but you need to deal with this first you ever wonder why maybe you don't have prayers answered is because you haven't dealt and confessed with sin in your own life I'm just I'm just saying well God's answer is no was well, it possible his answer is no because you won't humble yourself before him and confess you know what the word confess means is basically to come into agreement with that you see eye to eye with God God that You know, you say, well, it's not that bad. Well, you see it as the way God says, and all sin is bad, and you get on your knees and you confess confess that before God. See, confession is something that we definitely need in our lives. I just read this in my Bible reading, and and it gives a great, really, what confession and what it should lead to. The prophet Jeremiah said, Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. That's called confession, all right? And hast scattered thy ways to the stranger on the green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice. Okay? That's, that's confession. You have transgressed, you have not obeyed my voice. And then the next verse says, Turn ye. You don't even need to go any further than that. That God says, Acknowledge that you have not obeyed me and turn ye. You know what turn ye means? Repent. Then in other words, we confess and repent. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I wonder if we sometimes live defeated lives as believers because we do not grasp the power of Christ to be able to forgive our sins if we just have the practice of confession in our lives. The reason why sins have become strongholds in our lives is because we haven't learned to con- practice confession in our lives. I'm not saying that's the reason, but I'm telling you, it makes me wonder. Because we know it's important to read your Bible and go to church, be a witness. But it's just as important to have confession as a normal part of your life, uh, normal life as, as a believer. You see, when we sin in our lives, it should be something like this that we should want to rid of it as soon as humanly possible. There is a hymn, and and it really says it right. Is thy heart right with God? And that's what I have to ask you tonight. Is your heart right with God? And in that chorus it says, washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lonely, right in the sight of God. Maybe it's time you go to the laundromat tonight. This altar, there's ashes available at the altar tonight if you're willing to use it, willing to get things right with God tonight. Say, God, I haven't been confessing in my, dealing with sin in my life. Or, God, I'm just tired of fighting, but maybe tonight you're some motivation that God's given to you. And may I just say one more thing that I know a lot of you in here, and I know a lot of you have a testimony for Christ, but I'm just going to share this with you. You could have touched a dead body and nobody would have known it in that camp. And you may be super religious tonight and be as dead spiritually as can be. And it's time to drop this charade. It's time to come forward. It's time to embrace what Christ has done for you and what God has provided for you. It's the only way you're going to move forward. It's the only way it will prevent you from being cut off and so you can have a relationship with God. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll have a time of invitation here. Lord, I thank you for the chance to look at your word tonight. And God, I just pray that you'll work in our hearts, in our minds tonight, oh God. Lord, I, I know in my own life, sin is a, is a struggle, and all of us have to deal with that, God. And Lord, maybe tonight we need a fresh view of the finished work of Christ on the cross. God, maybe tonight's the night that we do have sins that too many eyes are hidden. And God, that we need a confession to make things right. And my God, there may be somebody that's lost here tonight that has played religion long enough. And God, that I just pray that you'll give him a humble heart to come forward and to accept Christ as their Savior tonight. Oh God, please work in your your way in this invitation. Ask us in Christ's name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.